Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Johnson with you as always. Thank you for hopping in and joining the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. We are on episode number 72 already, so please like, share, favorite it, what you can listen to it on whatever app, whatever platform. Support the podcast. We want to keep bringing you daily encouragement, great content that will encourage you to live for Jesus each and every day. Today is going to be a real life stories edition, and today I have a very special guest with me today, Alex Samuel. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Pastor. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Now, is this your first podcast ever in your uh, life? Yes, sir. I'm shaking, but I'm here. Woo! Yeah, that, that's what we love to hear. <laughs> love getting people on a podcast for the very first time in their entire life. And uh, we're looking forward today to hearing your your story. I know that you have a very fascinating story about how God has worked in your life, but you also are the first guest we've had on the Grace Point Daily Podcast that is not an American. Amen. Uh, <laughs> es un gusto estar aquí. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So, yeah, so we yeah. won't do the whole podcast in Spanish, but uh, appreciate that. You know, God loves people that aren't Americans, right? <laughs> Amen, <like> he does. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the opportunity to, a lot of, to do a lot of Spanish ministry in my life. Uh, specifically, I did a lot in Mexico for a five-year period. Uh, and we also, the last church that I pastored, we had a Spanish service. And uh, was just I, I just really connect and just have a heart for Spanish ministry, although I don't speak fluent Spanish. I've, I've definitely have a bond and a very special place in my heart for Spanish speaking people. Amen. We are a big family. Yeah, can you, di- can you discern that? Do you feel that, that love come out of me? Oh, no. yes, sir. I can feel it now, <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> well, uh, we want to dive into your story, Alex Samuel. I know that, uh, I know you, but let's dive into it. You grew up in a Christian family. You're born in Guatemala. Uh, yes, sir. I was born in, uh, I was born in Guatemala. I, uh, until I was uh, 16 years old, uh, my father he's a he was a pastor of the Sambasu God for uh, 40 years. He um, uh, was a, he was more a planter of churches than a long term pastor of a church. The longest he stayed in the church was uh, three years. Okay, so you growing up in you grew up in a Christian home. So your dad was already a pastor. He was already pastoring yes, church when you were born. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, by the time I was born, he was already a pastor. Okay. You know, so uh, I know about the Bible since I was in my mom's. I think. All right. So you grew up a pastor's kid. I know we talk about that a lot in America. We kind of make fun of pastors' kids. Uh, what, what, what's it like being a pastor's kid? In a Christian home growing up in Guatemala, what's that like? Um, I think being a PK, it's a, um, it doesn't matter what culture you're in or uh, country you're from. You go through the same motions. Uh, kids make fun of you. Uh, even the, uh, at a school, people expect you to be the best of the best. But uh, reality is that uh, you don't have the calling of God in your life. Mm-hmm. It's your dad who has the calling. Wow, yeah. Uh, you're just trying to be a kid. Uh, you don't understand absolutely nothing about the ministry. You <laughs> uh, just try to play soccer mm-hmm. or, you know, and get into fights. But people don't understand that part. Yeah. So um, for the most part, uh, even from an early age, I don't know why and when or how, I secretly, I started to get a, uh, I did admire my dad I don't okay uh, to I, I think that he was the pastor I was proud of it okay even 
if I make people make fun of me when I was in school, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I will look at my dad and I will say, well, you know, he's my dad and I'm his son. Yeah. So in in that point of life, it was a good thing. Yeah. Some people are like, oh, I hate this. This is horrible. Like, I never want to do this. But you had an admiration for your father. Yes, I did. Um, I did have an admiration, even though, um, like I say, he was more a planter. Uh, there were seasons of our lives in. And I don't think in America you go through this, but in Guatemala, in our, our culture zones, uh, people. When we talk about farmers in Guatemala, people don't have like 2,000 acres like in America. Right, right. People have just a small <laughs> piece of land. So there's seasons where people have to go and plant and, you know, the whole thing. And summer comes around and there's nothing to do. So if you didn't plan ahead or you have a lot of kids, in my case, I have six brothers, uh, food is a scarce. So there was seasons in the ministry that even though I did admire my dad uh when it came to the time to eat it was difficult okay uh we spent weeks eating nothing but uh tortillas and coffee okay well what's what was the life yeah, I was gonna say what's the life of a pastor like at that time here in America at this point, a lot of times we have pastors that are paid for the most part uh, overall. We still have a lot of bivocational pastors, but I can remember the stories of hearing about pastors back in the 1950s in America or whatever, that they were very dependent upon crops, people yes. bringing vegetables to them yes. and people in the church mm-hmm. really supporting them. So it sounds like your dad had to do some of that. Uh, we, uh, it is the system implemented by, this, uh, by the uh, Christian churches in Guatemala. I think they still do it now. I haven't asked my dad that question. Where you dependent on people bringing you uh, uh, first fruits, tithing, and stuff like that. Mm. So you didn't have a salary because people couldn't afford it anyway. Because where they send you to plant a church, most likely the reason there was not a church there was because nobody wanted to go because of the financial situation. Oh, okay. So, yeah. um, you you did go to those places, uh, you know, believing what Paul said. You know, I'm I'm I have learned to be content with much or with nothing at all. But I still uh, I I want to share the gospel with them and pay the price. So my dad was willing uh, to go yeah. without a salary and just. Whatever people brought, that's what we eat. And I remember clearly one day, uh, the last experience we had, we spent like two weeks with nothing, absolutely nothing. And at night, I'll remember that I will hear my dad talking about the goodness of God. But we knew we had nothing at home. Mm. Wow. But he never wavered his faith until today. I, I did ask him one day. Uh, a couple of years ago, I asked him, Dad, I said, uh, if you have another chance, would you do something different? <laughs> because his life was being a preacher, but being poor preacher. Yeah, sacrifice. Sacrifice. And I asked him, Dad, I said, would you do something different? I mean, financially, seriously. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all strive for better things. I mean... And now he says, he told me now, he said now. 
he just said, I just regret starting late in life. Because mm. he became a pastor when he was 30 or 35, something like that. Okay. He, yeah. he, he, he gave his life to the Lord when he was 25. But now uh, the man served God for, as a pastor for 40, 40 years. Mm. And the reason he retired was because of his health. And actually, the assemblies uh, of God retiring him. He didn't want to retire. He was mad when they retired. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So he lived a life of faith. And, you know, that's something that we, I don't know that we always can connect with as Americans. A story that I have is when I was in Africa, one time I was in the country of Uganda, and we were out on an island visiting a pastor and we did ministry there, and then we were going to come back to the city, and we invited him to come with us and said, we'd love for you to come with us and spend some time with us. But he said, I, ha- I can't leave today because I have to go fishing because if I don't catch any fish today, I won't eat. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that doesn't make sense for us because we typically have food in our closet. You know, we have food in the refrigerator. But for him, he literally was trusting for today to catch fish to eat. Yeah, that's uh sounds familiar. Uh outside the uh you know, for developed countries. I I would say pretty much most countries, I mean what they call third world countries, they go pastors do that sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, and I think when you live that way, all of who God is becomes a lot more real to you. For example, Jesus taught us to pray the prayer, give us today our daily bread. I mean I can pray that prayer, but the reality is, is I have a little bit of money in the bank and I have food at home and Amen. I don't really need to God to give me anything today because I'm pretty fine without him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, because of life experiences I, 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 the, that I have experienced, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to pray that prayer when you have an insurance, when you have a Medicare, a job. A secure, I mean, security or something, social security, anything. But when you don't have, uh, you know, back where I grew up, nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, you only go to the only source you got, you have, and it's God. Yep. And if He fails to respond, and of course He never does, but if He fails to respond, you will have a serious problem. But, you know, you see pastors there that they preach passionately about who Jesus is, regardless of the price they have to pay. Wow. Which is supposed to be the way it's the way it's supposed to be, right? We're supposed to trust in the Lord, have faith, live a life of faith. Yeah. You know, well, it's supposed to be that way, but we don't. (laughs) In America, it's hard to trust God when you have insurance. Yeah. Yeah. When you can drive two minutes to the hospital and... Tell the doctor what you have. It's 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 kind of hard to to trust God, right? But when you had live in a country like Guatemala, where uh, first of all the uh, uh, hospitals, uh, their services, <laughs> I don't want to mention it, but uh, this is the only thing you got. Yeah, uh, and, and it's miles away. That's the problem. When you, get, I don't know. I, 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 I was talking to my mom the other day, and I was telling mom, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm scared even to think about living in Guatemala. There's places where people get sick, regardless of how sick they get, and they will take four hours to get to the hospital. 
So, and then better. it's probably like you said, it's probably not a great hospital. It's like a no, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the health system in Guatemala, it's oh my god, it just I don't want to say useless, but uh, it's not the best of the best. So, that's the reason most uh, Hispanics you see that they have the tendency to call the pastor for anything, even in America, mm-hmm. just because back where they come from, that you develop that bond with your pastor mm-hmm. because of necessity. You, you had to drive four hours to the hospital. Well, the wisest thing to do is stop by the pastor's house and ask for a prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about some other things that are unique. I know that the one thing that I probably get maybe a little bit annoyed by per se, I don't know if annoyed is the right word, but we kind of wrap, uh, we use the word like Spanish speaking people and, and we just throw them all in the same bucket. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a big difference. There's a difference between a Mexican and a Guatemalan and a Guatemalan and a Brazilian. And, yeah. and, and some of us in our ignorance, we just throw you all in the same bucket. Yeah. Yes. You know, it, it's like one time a, a, a lady was uh, a lady here in America. Um, she was mad because somebody was speaking Spanish and she said, oh, this, those people are speaking Mexican. No, <laughs> you know, we don't speak Mexican. No, we are. Uh, um, we, of course, we all speak Spanish, but we all speak a little bit different. We all understand each other be, uh, besides from Brazil that they speak Portuguese. Mm-hmm. We don't really right, understand yeah. each other. But uh, besides that, we even uh, Mexico's different, Guatemala's different, Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and all South America. Uh, even though we are Latinos, if you will, we all have our own language, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's how we communicate to each other. But, I mean, in my case, I can listen to someone and I can tell if they Guatemalans or not. Okay. Even though and if they from Guatemala, just by listening to them, I can ask them, you got from such and such part, don't you? Mm-hmm. And they they like, yes, yes, I'm from that part of the country. It's like someone from Wisconsin. When I see someone I can immediately tell if they're from Wisconsin or not. Oh, what's the difference? I don't know that They one. just have this look about them. And they're like, <laughs> you're from Wisconsin, aren't you? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Um, hey, let's talk about, so let's talk about when Christianity became really real to you, when you, your conversion moment, when, you oh. know, you got saved. I mean, you grew up in a Christian home. Your dad's a pastor. You're, you're surrounded by Christianity. It's very much a part of your life. But this moment when Jesus really became real to you. Um. I I hope my brother never listens to this, pod, this <laughs> podcast because he will he will uh, he'll probably uh, he he'll hear some things that I had never shared with him. <laughs> uh, I was eighteen in in California, South Central LA. That's where I used to live, and uh, I was going to a dark, probably the darkest of my life. Um, when I was fifteen, I. When I was 15 and a half, one of my cousins, who was 25 at the time, hit me one time. Oh, he punched me one time. And I couldn't do anything because of my age. You know, the difference between 15 and 25 is a big, big, big gap. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everything. So I remember telling him, I said, uh, you pay for it. 
That's all I said. Yeah, I said I pay you pay for it. And I went and I feel my dad was not around, my brothers were not around. My oldest brother, my, one of my oldest brothers that I get along mo, uh, with Moses Douglas, who, who you know. So he was not around with me yet. Uh, he was he was not in America yet. So I just felt alone. But I told him, you pay for it. So fast forward 25, uh, three years, I keep my word. And I started to... Uh, yeah, two bad people are not looking at me, but if you look at me, if you were, if every, everyone who looked this, who listened to this podcast, they will, they will kind of figure out that I look half black. So living in South Central, it was a plus to me. Yeah. Yep. So they embraced me when I came to that area. Right. So I started to develop friends and, it, you know, there was... The, the area it's heavily populated with gangsters. Because you're you saying your dad was African or black or he is or... from uh, Jamaican descendant. Okay, Jama- okay, got yes. It. So I developed some friendships, and one day I have their nerd to us. One of them, I said, "Listen, I said I have this problem." The the one for three years back, my cousin. Okay, and surely enough, you know, they told me, "Hey, just pay for." Just pay for the bullets. This, that was the answer. Um, the only thing I needed to pay for it was $40. And the gas, they told me bullet and gas and some beer. That's all they said. Wow. So I was, I knew where my cousin was working. Uh, he was a security guard. And the plan was I would go and pretend I was okay with him, hug him. And do the rest with somebody else. But I was so into it that uh, I thank God for coming into my life on that particular time. So one day I was, and the day that we that we were planned to go get the the guns and go do the pretty much assassinate somebody, a lady came with a. Uh, I will never forget it. It was a white Pontiac two door to wash her car. So I, I talked to her in Spanish and she said, yes, I need a car wash. And when I got into her car and turned the car on, there was a song in Spanish in Spanish by a singer, a well-known singer called uh, Marino that everybody knew back in the day in the nineties, eighties, nineties. He was, he was very popular. Um, he was like, uh, what's his, what's his name? Yes. Michael? Michael oh, Smith? Marco Sweet? No, no. Uh, Marcos? Uh, no, Marino was his name. Oh, okay. He, his, he was from Argentina. Okay. A Christian? Uh-huh. Christian artist. Okay. He was playing a song, and I remember this song, but the minute I started listening to the song, out of nowhere, I started to shake. Literally. Uh, just because of the song. And I couldn't even get out of the car. Um, and after the song got over, I put myself together and I walked out of the car. And I asked the lady, I said, do you go to church? She said, yes, I go to church. And then she was wise enough to ask me, do you want to go? <laughs> then I said, yes. 
Uh, they took me that night. We can I canceled everything. I went to church with them. We developed the greatest, probably one of my greatest friendships ever. Uh, six months later, I surrendered my life to Jesus. Wow. Uh, we make amends with my cousin. He's still alive. He's a pastor now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think I, I don't think I needed to confess to him. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> one t one day we were talking and I told him. I said, uh, "Look, man. I said I think uh, I said uh, I think I need to apologize, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> because of this." And that was the day that uh, Jesus came into my life in the right and right moment. Wow, that's how that's how it was. Yeah, you're like, hey, I just wanted to apologize. There's, you know, a few years back, there's, you know, I just was going to pay some people to kill you. You want to go have lunch now? Let's go get a taco. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, people will send out, thank you. I'm okay. <laughs> wow, but that was the moment. And yes. then everything changed and the switch flipped per se. And you began to follow Jesus with everything that you had. Yes. I started going to a small church. Uh, the pastor, he was from Puerto Rico. He, he died already. He went to be with the Lord. He was actually preaching when he passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where uh, it was a small church, but he was a man after after God, pretty much. And there's what I had on my first position within, it, within the church. I, uh, not, uh, back in the day, my mom used to make me go to church, make stuff in church. Because we, we were kids, and, you know, I mean, as a PK, you know, you hear problems after problems, so you get sick of church. You yeah. get fed with people. <laughs> so uh, by 14, you start the, you become a, 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 you become a rebellious kid because of that. But after surrendering my life to Jesus, it was my own decision, pretty much. I've said this before, that God, uh, a lot of times people say, uh, it's in the past, or my past doesn't define me. And I completely disagree with that. I believe that your past does define you and it defines how God then uses you in the future. Uh, so by that, my question would be, do you find yourself now ministering or connecting with a lot of people that grew up in church and now are walking away from the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of people that they grew up, whether they were pastor's kids or they grew up in a church environment, they get to that phase of adulthood. They now find themselves no longer serving the God that they grew up under. That they're that they supposedly were taught about. They, do you find yourself in a lot of conversations or reaching out to people in the same place that you were in? You know, yes, and and sometimes, uh, sometimes the best, so sometimes the best thing to say sometimes is nothing. Most sometimes, when you have people that, that they have been hurt in church, and yes, I do find myself finding people that were in the same shoes I was. And I completely understand them. I, I connect with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't condemn them. I don't tell them you're going to go to hell or anything because uh, I, I just connect with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you grow up in Guatemala. You're in now, again, I guess don't not to go all the way back, but was that a rural type environment or was it a city or was it a rural? Most, um, like, like I said, my dad was a planter, so... The, uh, there was only one place that we went. The the town we lived was like Carthage. It was a small a small town. Okay. 
will we have tap water and electricity? Oh, we thought we were in heaven, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you no, know, besides that, everything that was rural. I mean, okay. So you grew up in rural Guatemala. You transitioned to America at 16 years old. You really kind of come to your conversion experience at about 18 years old, you said, in that yes. ballpark or mm-hmm. something like that. You now give your life to Christ, serving the Lord. What's it like being a, a, a Christian in America, not being America? Talk, talk to me about those dynamics. Um, being a Christian in America is different. It just, uh, you know, to the... To develop your faith in America, I mean, it's it's uh, like we mentioned before, you know, uh, when you have a hospital, a minute away, by nature, prayer doesn't come your first to go; it becomes your last last resort. Yeah, and in Guatemala, it's the other way around. Prayer becomes your first, first. thing, uh, and, and and that's why even today, you know, we will hear people in outside United States talk about miracles they will wish mm-hmm. we will see in America. That we only, like you say, uh, months ago, and I'll never forget it. And thanks for that. You said we are the generation that we will not write books. Yep. The probably people will write about us that we didn't write anything. But, <laughs> yeah. But that, that is, um, uh, unfortunately, sadly, uh, in America, you need to be, I, th- I think I would say, you have to be more conscious, Christian, about your development, being too much, be a mature Christian. Mm-hmm. You have to be really intentional. If you don't, you just, it becomes a habit, like a social, social part of it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to church because uh, Michael went to church and it's part of my group and I need to go. Yeah. Now, in, in other countries, uh, you don't. You really, uh, you you see uh, God moving. I remember my dad, uh, and by the way, being a member under my dad's ministry probably was the hardest thing ever. He will say one day, and now, mind this, that in... in Outside America, you have church seven days a week. Okay. <laughs> Not twice a week. And my dad would say, okay, uh, brothers and sisters, we'll have a season of prayer. Well, my dad's season of prayer was not uh, two weeks or five minutes every Wednesday. That will, It was four months of a year. Yeah. Wow. Every day for four months. Yep. People will show up, uh, will read the Bible, it's straight to prayer for, I think it was like 45 minutes or so, got up, sin again, prayed again. Wow. So, but after this, uh, or probably in the middle of the prayer season or after, you, you will see things that, it, that as a kid will mark you, that you will, even if you refuse to believe there was a God, the things that you saw in church will witness against you. There was something else uh, up there. Yeah. And we, uh, 
Yeah, just that whole call to just give ourselves completely to the Lord, to give Jesus our everything. You know, we read the the story of the rich young ruler Sunday night at church. Yeah. And I always think that is so definitive of American Christianity. We have all this wealth and we like Jesus. We like the concept of Jesus. Yes. We like what he gives us. And But, you yes. know, he pointed that rich young ruler and said, okay, you obey the commandments. That's good. You, 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 you love God. So, okay, great. Yeah. Just go ahead and sell everything. You're an American. Thank you. Give, <laughs> give away all your possessions. Come follow me. And he could not do that because that was the one area he just couldn't release to the Lord, that issue of wealth. And uh, I was talking about this the other day on a podcast. If he would have done that, if he would have gave away everything, he would have lived the most fulfilling yes. life uh-huh. he could have ever lived by giving away all of his stuff. But he couldn't, and and that's the that's the thought process that I think is so hard for us to reconcile as Americans. This giving away all that we have, and again, I don't I don't know. I'm not going to be the judge of that. I'm not saying to people today like you have to give away all your house and your car, but maybe you do. Maybe you should. I think we just have to continue to put our play ourselves in a position where we have to walk in dependence on the Lord. That's my big thing. So today. Is your life set up in a such in such a way that you have to depend on God today? Yeah, you know, um, I think the question goes back: How much is your salt worth? All right. Yep. You know, how, how much are you willing to uh, to spend to gain your, uh, you know, to to gain more of what's uh, of God of what God has in store for you? So, but and and. and in the other hand, you know, I understand it's difficult when you are born in a in a culture and a system, and for you to change that, you know, I do greatly admire people who are born and raised in America. Uh, for instance, they are probably middle class, and they feel the call to go into ministry as missionaries to yes. other countries. Yep, I I I was. I, I'm like, wow, this is this is neat. I mean, I take my hat off to, to those yep. people. Yes. And when you hear their story, maybe you will never see them on TV. Maybe they didn't convert millions to Jesus. Yes. But one thing they will tell you this, I will never regret my decision. I, yep. I have lived a fulfilling life, and, and I will not go back to it. Yeah, amen, amen. I know we could probably talk for days, and but I want to co- talk about a couple more things before we wrap up this particular podcast. Talk to me about racism. Um, I'm really, you know, I'm really amazed. I'm I'm a white guy from Nebraska. I did not grow up with a lot of cultural diversity. I went to college in downtown Minneapolis, where it was my, really my first taste of starting to interact with a lot of different cultures uh, in the particular area I lived in. There was a lot of Somalians, and then I ended up going to inner city church where there's black people and different countries and non-Americans and et cetera, and those kind of things. Then I started doing missions trips. And so I feel like I've progressed to a place in life where I don't see color anymore. Uh, I would like to think that I don't see color. Um, uh, I, I do every once in a while, like when I go to, because there's not a lot of black people here. So like when I fly to Atlanta, uh, there's a lot more African American, so I'm like, whoa, where'd all the black people come from? You know, and uh, jokingly in my brain, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, I feel like I've moved beyond that. But I f- I find it fascinating that 2019, there's so much racism mm-hmm. in our country today. Uh, yes. h- how do you deal with that? Because I know 
I'm sure that you see that if you're walking in Walmart, that you see the eyes of someone look at you and, you know, we're probably judging, but there's probably some of those people like, oh, here comes those Spanish. Here comes that, like you said, here comes that Mexican. Here comes that, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you process um, that today? Uh, being <laughs> a Jesus follower with redeemed mindset. <laughs> we going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think from an early age, we develop, in my case, being a PK, we develop a tough skin about uh, comments from people, looks from people. Now, mind that my dad was black. Uh, he's black. Even in Guatemala, we experience racism. Hmm. Wow. We will see people look as differently. Uh, we will walk with my dad and you will literally you'll see people stop what they were doing and turn just because there was a black guy walking with his kids in wow. town. So, um, and you know, the name calling even by the, uh, the, the by the deacons kids <laughs> and, 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 and all that. Uh, and so, so you develop a, I don't care attitude in my, in my case. For my own health, after uh, you get you uh, racism is a disease. It's like cancer, and you will not win. In my case, I figure out years ago, you will not win this. It's it's just pointless mm. to fighting over this. Um, I have had I have I have had my share of comments from other people. I drove trucks for uh, like seven years in the past, and you you receive comments when you go to places where there's no, what uh, there, there's only uh, white people. Mm-hmm. You see comments. Yep. You go. Um, I mean, you go to a restaurant where you need you have to eat, and you walk in and like you're the only color person in that restaurant. <laughs> well, you know, take a guess. You see, you hear telling, you hear ladies telling their kids to stay where they at. People grabbing their purse, their purses from <laughs> the other side. Yeah, you walking by the car, people locking their cars. Uh, but I, I, years ago, you know, like I said, years ago, I noticed that honestly, it's a probably a unwilling ignorance on people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That. Uh, there's a reason they uh, have uh, uh, they they racist, um, and and honestly, they they missing out on part of their life by meeting somebody from a different race, yeah, different culture. Um, in my own case, I have discovered that my life has been enriched by people from different cultures. Yes, I, yeah. I have had the chance to meet Africans, to meet people from the Middle East, uh, people from everywhere, uh, Chinese, and just name it. Uh, so to answer your question is, I we, we have developed a tip, uh, I'm, in my case, tough skin. I don't, it takes a while for me to get bothered by uh, people comments unless my uh, my life is in danger that switches to a different ball game yeah <laughs> but uh, 
But it's hard, though. You know, it, it, and I'm not just talking about Americans. I'm talking about Christians. For example, when I was pastoring in Utah, we really felt like in our community there was roughly 33% Spanish-speaking people in that particular area. And we feel like if we're going to be a church in this area, we have to address that in, in some way. And so we started a Spanish service, and we had specifically white people leave our church because we were doing Spanish ministry. And even one time, I'm not trying to regurgitate uh, bitter feelings of the past, but had one particular individual, they didn't say it to my face, obviously, but they said it to someone else who was going to our church. Oh, Pastor Jeremiah, he's just trying to start a Mexican church over there. <laughs> you know, uh, here, uh, here, and in, in, I will not mention the name, but here, <laughs> here in the area, a local church, a big church, uh, a friend of mine was going to uh, MSSU, and he asked me, hey, I need to go this um, Easter to a church and see a play, and I need to write about it. But uh, I don't want to go alone. Do you want to go with me? He was in college. I was not. He was a lot younger than me. So I said, okay, well, let's go. He was white. Uh, I was Obviously, I'm not. <laughs> so we went to church. And the play was about to start, and we got in. They offered him a seat, a chair in front, and, you know, they didn't tell me anything, so I didn't, it didn't bother to me at all. So I went to the back, and I sat. Uh, three minutes later, a security guard with plain clothes, but I noticed his his microphone, hey, his yeah, okay. <laughs> he was carrying a radio. Yeah. He came back and he told me, hey, is everything okay? I said, yes, thank you. I, 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 at the beginning, I thought he was being polite. Uh-huh. He left, and then another one came, not, not much like three or four minutes later. He said, is everything okay? I said, and, and then he dawned on me. I said, yes. And he stood there for a minute, and he asked me again. And you're talking a big church. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, my goodness. And, and it, then I started looking around, and I was probably the only one with a different skin. Mm-hmm. And, but my, uh, my friend, I didn't notice, but he was paying attention. So my friend came and he asked the security guard. I said, why is it they questioning? Why, why is it? What's the problem? And, and the guy said, no, we just want to know he's okay. And I said, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't look sick or anything. <laughs> so my friend who did have a short uh, fuse in his life, he was a short-tempered guy. <laughs> he just told me, hey, he said, uh, do you want to go? I said, yes. I said, I don't feel comfortable. Wow. When we walked out of the church, there were two security guards of that particular church. The church is in Japanese, by the way. Um, yes, they were walking behind us until we got into the car, and they followed us until we exited the parking lot. Wow. It, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny, you know? I mean, it's... At the moment... I, I can't believe it. You know? At the moment, I, I thought I was, I was, I was like, I'm okay. And my friend, like I say, he's white. He's like, that is not okay. And, and you know this bad part? He's not a Christian. Wow. Right, right. And he told me there's a reason 
I don't come to mm. church. Yeah. That is the reason that he's like, that is the very reason mm. I don't come to church. Think about it. And, and yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. and, and, and it didn't hurt me at the moment, but a day later it kind of hurt because it's a great, it's a big church. They are still on today. They, they do. I know they do great things in other areas of the country. And, but I had never gone back to that particular church for nothing at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not trying to get bogged down in negativity per se, but it's something we have to talk about. It's something that we have to address and we have to serve. I mean, we have to, the Bible says we have to serve one another, love one another, sacrifice one another. I find that just unity in general, whether it's with white people, whether it's other churches, uh, I mean, different cultures, not just white people. Uh, it requires us to sacrifice and to serve one another. You know, we're never going to, uh, we're never going to overcome that unless we sacrifice, we serve, we begin to develop relationships with people. Um, because what we will find out, what you will find out. I mean, sometimes you've never, for example, me, I've never interacted with a lot of Asian people, uh, because I've been more Africans, uh, Mexicans, Guatemalans, Spanish speaking. That's been more my missions target, but we're all just people and we're all created by God. We're all created in the image of God. And if I would spend more time in that culture or whatever, I would learn that there might be some nuances, some differences, but they're just people. And we have created these walls and these barriers that just need to be broken down in Jesus name. Well, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, we just hit on parts of your story. You know, you grew up in Guatemala, you came to America, gave your life to the Lord. You've been in the church, you're serving the Lord. You've had to deal with being a Christian, not an American in America. But at this point in life, what do you feel like God's doing in your life right now? What do you find yourself at this point in, in your journey God is doing and speaking through you and putting on your heart? Um, before I answer your question, I want to say something else about the last topic we were yep. on it. Um, one of the, uh, I think, um, one of the great things that you can do in your life is um, to know other people from a different race. I, yeah. I will recommend to anybody, uh, just get to know somebody who's a different, who is different than you, who dresses different. Find the reason why they dress different, why they eat yeah. what they eat, or why they do what they do, and why they, instead of using the fork, they use their fingers, <laughs> even right. though in America, <laughs> right? The reason why, and you know, if you don't have a friend, uh, find yourself from a different race. You'll be enriched. Uh, you will be enriched by by that. Yep. I I uh, I guarantee you that part. Amen. Uh, we all, after all, we are. We come from one, one family after all. Yep. God only created two people at the beginning, Amen. and in heaven. And if you're a Christian in heaven, after, after everything is done and said, you know, you know, there's not gonna be no countries. But I guarantee you, you will see people. <laughs> we're all gonna be from different countries. Amen. And and we will be in one place together. So get used to it right now. <laughs> um, what God is doing right now, uh, three years ago. Uh, uh, like six or seven years ago, they told me um, that I would, for no reason, uh, besides uh, high blood pressure, my kidneys were failing, and they didn't know why. And three years ago, finally, I have the, uh, I was home having a bad, bad headache, 
finally my sister-in-law Melinda convinced me to go to the hospital uh, they took me from uh, from one, uh, the small hospital in town to a bigger one and uh, they told me your kidneys are done I mean you need to be in dialysis so they put me on uh, three years ago I started doing dialysis because my kidneys fell it, uh, it was a probably the one of the biggest experiences I have that I'm crossing in my life being it's been on dialysis um and like I say, I, honestly, I hope my brother never hears this, but <laughs> the day that uh, we got out of, out of the hospital, he told me, do you want to go home with me? And I said, no, I said, I'm okay. I was not okay. Now, remember that I was grew up in, I grew up in church, and I met the Lord when I was 18, and I was 40 when I was in the Addison. When they put me in the ashes. But when I got home, I sat on the couch and I started, you know, I was not crying. I was sobbing. I mean, I thought my life was over. Hmm. I mean, because, I mean, dialysis, it affects different to different people. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it just, some people are able to work, some are not, and I'm the later one. I can't, I haven't, I mean, I can do it one day and the next three days I'm in pain. Hmm. And I sat on the couch man, and, and I have a little bit of understanding now why people commit suicide. Cause I sat on that couch at two o'clock and I, uh, I started thinking, you know, my, my life is, it's over. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, that's what I want to get to. It's it is started going like in levels by going down. What I was thinking that you know it was like going down. And by seven o'clock, I have figured out my mind and thinking about uh, that I, my life was over. There was nothing. That it, it was useless, worthless. So in that time, you know, I, I don't, I, I will not say if I consider myself, or I, I don't want to, I don't want, I, I want to give the devil a break now. I don't know if he was him, but the thought came about committing suicide. Yeah. Wow. And it, it, so, I kind of understand why people do it, how, how, how to, what takes somebody to it. Mm-hmm. But I, I I thank God that uh, at the moment I, you know, I was like, what I'm thinking. I was like, no, 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 this is this is not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I got up and I washed my face, and I was it was in the trailer by myself, and I got the car and I went to a restaurant and I sat in a public place and I was like, no, I, I just can't sit there. By myself, because this is taking me to a place I don't want to be. Yeah. But it, and after that, one of one of my the greatest, one of the, I think, one of the worst problems 
of being dialysis was that uh, I needed to be dependent on the Lord for good. I, I kind of knew. Look, Pastor, it's different and it's easier to say, God, I trust you when you're healthy. Yeah. When you have a license to drive. Yes. <laughs> when you have a job where you can, when you wake up in the morning and you hit the clock at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., yeah. 3, you're done. And you say, God, thank you because you have a job. That's, and then you, Mm-hmm. You trust God. That's it. Yeah. That's uh, uh, that's that's easier uh, to trust God. But when you don't have none of that, when you don't have a job or the ability to support yourself, yeah, you start figuring it out. In the last twenty years, you really didn't trust God. I'm speaking <laughs> for myself. Yeah. Right. Well, I was honestly, I was trusting my ability because I knew I know how to drive a truck. I mean, you know, trucking, being hired as a truck driver is probably one of the easiest jobs in America. Everywhere they hire you. So, you know, I kind of knew. Uh, but when everything that was going, trusting God was the biggest. For, forget the dialysis, but trusting God, depending on 100%. So again, I sat on my couch, and this time I didn't cry. I just have a, I had a honest conversation with God. Well, I was talking. He was listening, I think. Yeah. (laughs) And I told God, I said, God, I said, uh, I said, honestly, I said, forgive me, but I don't think I trust you. I had never been in a position by myself where you can support me. So I said, I told him, I said, if you don't support me, and and I lost everything, you know, if I lose roof, food, and clothes, I said, that's fine. I deserve it. But it's hard for me to trust it the way I am. Uh, three years later, I have actually gained 20 pounds. Is that good or bad? Uh, well, <laughs> well, the good part, the good part is, <laughs> The good part is that he uh, he has been faithful. Amen. Uh, he has been faithful in in <clears throat> the gaining pounds. It was my fault. It was not him. <laughs> no, no, but I wanted to make a point. Uh, you know, one of the things that happened after that was a friend of mine called me. No, I went to visit a friend who sells cars. He didn't know that my car broke down. And when I show up, he told me, oh, he said, I wanted to talk to you a, a month ago. And he said, for what? And he said, just wait, my wife is in the way. And when she showed up, and he's, he pulled up a title, and he said, uh, and this is, I'm going to repeat his words. He said, a month ago, God told me to give you this car. Here's wow. the title. Praise God. And it was exactly a month ago that my brother and I were struggling to get a car so I could go to dialysis. Hmm. Wow. So I, it was those moments where God, uh, God uh, left you speechless. Wow. Well, I think the moral of the story for the day is to trust God, to put all of our trust in him. 
on a continual basis. And uh, I believe if we don't, he'll he'll put us in that position where we have to. You know, unfortunately, I think in my case, I think that's what I'm experiencing right now. And I don't know for long for how long this is going to be. I don't know the reason what his purpose in the future is because I don't have that insight yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, the secret things belongs to God, but the, the, well, the, what we know right now, well, at yeah. the present time, um, I have learned, and I'm still in the process. It's still hard for me. <clears throat> I'm not going to lie. It's still hard for me. I think I'm a, I don't know if I'm a too independent or too proud man or too, uh, <laughs> either way. But there's days that it's, it's hard to trust God. Yeah. But it's not. I can look. I can turn around and look back three years ago, and God has been uh, uh, faithful to me. Uh, I mean, it, it might be somebody will listen to this podcast, and probably you're going to the same situation. I, you know, I can, I, I can assure you, you know, that, uh, you know, things don't don't get God by surprise. Amen. He's yep. Fully aware of where <laughs> yes. you at, you know, and and I know sometimes we want to know the end result, but uh, I, I would say live live the present, live you your life uh, uh, to the fullest. Uh, he will look if he if he if God feel uh, feed the beer the uh, you know bears that like Jesus said you know that mentioned parables of Jesus, the, the famous parables of Jesus that we like to quote, but we don't like to be in that position. If God can feed a a bird, like Jesus said it, I, I'm pretty sure God will feed us, that we are his children. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and another thing about when I got on dialysis, uh, I probably, I, I jump into my story, but Going back the day that they took me to the hospital, I was in a room, and I think I haven't shared this with you. I think I did. And a nurse came into my room. I never seen a lady before. Never. And when she came in, I don't remember exactly what I told her. But as she came to my bed, and she started crying. And... But uh, and and uh, I wa- I asked the other day and I said, hey, remember the first time we met? What did I tell you? Because I said I don't really remember. Oh, she said, oh, do you ask me about my marriage, Pastor? I was in the hospital. I was not to mind people's business. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when she came in, uh, I asked her about her marriage, and uh, and. Uh, I will not mention her name or anything because I don't, I don't, I don't, she don't, I don't think she want to know. She don't want, well, people know the story here in church. So when we got talking, she told me I come from the restroom. I was crying. And she said, my first husband committed suicide. My second husband left me. And I came from the restroom because I was planning tonight to kill my kids and kill myself she had two kids and I said no you don't and I prayed for her and I told her 3 o'clock I said 
be here, my pastor be here. I didn't know if the pastor wanted to go. I just said <laughs> my pastor be here. Uh-huh. So um, three o'clock, surely enough, pastor showed up, prayed for her. She came to church and months later uh, got restored her marriage again. What mm-hmm. I want to get to is this. Um, I think it was a divine moment that I went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. How it was set up, I don't know. But uh, I think maybe the reason that family still together and alive today is because God sent me there for that particular reason and I was yeah. there. Yeah. So I get uh if for those listening, uh your situation uh can be used and God will use it for his glory. Amen. Amen. Great stuff, man. Great thoughts. This has been a real life stories edition with Alex Samuel. I hope that of all the thoughts, there's a bunch in there that he shared that were powerful and encouraging, but most of all that you would trust in God. Well, Alex, I'm expecting that our on our analytics page, I will see Guatemala pop up on there and that our Guatemalan audience will increase and grow just because of you. <laughs> amen, amen. All right. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next time.